turn to me, with me to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1 this morning, hallelujah. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 4 through verse 8. We started last Sunday, we started on the book of Revelation. The first message was the apocalypse or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which means manifestation, revealing, an unveiling of the Lord. And it has to do with the unveiling of deity. So Jesus is God. Also has to do with his second coming. And those events that precede his second coming. The apocalypse or the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, the Bible says, God gave it unto him. Jesus gave it to his angel, and then the angel to his servant John, and then John wrote it to the seven churches which are in Asia, the seven churches which are in Asia. Chapter 1, verse 4, <clears throat> John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. Now notice very importantly Grace, that word, and peace from him, which is, which was, and which is to come. Now, who are we talking about? Jesus, right? But it says of Jesus, from him which is, which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, or literally the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, the finished work, and hath made us, or and made us, kings and priests unto God. Say kings and priests unto God. And his father, to him be glory and dominion. Glory and dominion forever. Say with me, forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am, say I am, that's what the Lord says, he says I am, notice that is his name, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. This morning we're going to be talking about the revelation of the name, or names of God. And we're going to title the message, Five Names in the Cloud. Five Names in the Cloud. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to stand here, God, before your congregation, to represent you, to be your ambassador, God, to bring this word to your people. We thank you, God, for the revelation that's in your name, Jesus. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this place, Lord Jesus. He which was, which is, and is to come. 
the almighty God. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Five names in the cloud. Now, we're going to talk to you this morning about some very, very important things. Because when you talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, a lot of people like to study the book because it deals with future events. They like to study it because it talks about Antichrist, and it talks about world religions, and it talks about world government systems and all of that. But it's not so much a revelation of the Antichrist and world government and world economy. It's a revelation of Jesus. And it's not so much just a revelation of future events. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ concerning his second coming, but specifically about him in his nature. So in order to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the nature of Jesus. You have to understand the nature of God. And he reveals himself or discloses himself to us through his names. Five primary names in the Old Testament. And in this passage that I've just read to you, verses 4 through 8, these names are laid out in those verses. All right? We're going to talk today, first of all, about Elohim. Then we're going to talk about El Shaddai. Then we're going to talk about Yahweh. Then we're going to talk about Eloah. Then we're going to talk about El Elyon. The five primary names of God. And then we're going to show you how that all the fullness of the Godhead is found in Jesus Christ bodily. And that in His name are located and found all the names of God. Now, the five primary names of God give you a revelation of God. That's why he gave <coughs> names or, or revealed himself through names so that you would understand and get a revelation of the Lord. Amen? When you come to the name of Jesus, though, it has all the names of God in the one name. Jewish scholarship says there are 72 names of God. Which means God revealed himself to man in 72 different attributes or ways. But the five primary, primary names of God in the Old Testament are, again with me, Elohim, El Shaddai, Yahweh, Eloah, and El Elyon. Okay, you with me here? All right, y'all ready for this? And after we cover that, then we're going to come to verses 4 through 8. And we're going to show you how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of them. The five names in the cloud. The Bible talks about in verse 7, he's coming with clouds. Or literally coming with the cloud. Now, in the Old Testament, the cloud, the glory cloud, is God. It is the presence of God. You understand that? Not only, though, does the cloud represent the presence of God, but the cloud represents his people. So he's coming in the clouds means he's coming in his people. So we talk about the five names in the cloud. We're talking about the five names of God in his people, in us. Primarily in him, Jesus, but secondarily in us. This is how we operate and we move. Five names in the cloud, in his people and in himself. Are you with me up to this point? Now, first and foremost, we're going to deal with, look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 1 of Revelation. 
It tells us about Jesus. He says, from him which is and which was and which is to come. That is very interesting, isn't it? To him which, what? Which is, which was, and is to come. Now that deals with Jesus being God. That he is the I am. That he is the eternal God. With me here? Okay, let me give you another verse. Revelation 1 and verse 8. They're going to bring it up for you so you can see this, okay? Uh, but, but before we do that, we'll go to Isaiah 41, and I'm going to show you this. So in Old Testament, you'll understand that we're talking about God here. He which is, which was, and is to come is a name for God. Isaiah 41, verse 4. The Bible says this, Who wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, all capitalized. I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. So when you talk about that title of Jesus, He which is, which was, and is to come, or He which was, and is, and is to come, you're talking about He is God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is Yahweh. Okay, that's one way they, they pronounce that. All right. Revelation 1 and 8, He says this, I am and that's linked to, to Yahweh again. I, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Say with me, the Almighty, which is not a good translation. Next verse we're going to look at in the Scripture is found in verse 17 of chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. You with me up to this point? In Revelation chapter 4, the next verse we'll look at. And they're going to bring this up for you so you don't have to look all these up. Amen. The Bible tells us here in verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, Almighty. Jesus is Lord God Almighty. He is not, listen to me, He is not the second person. He is Lord God Almighty. There is one throne in heaven, not three. And he's sitting on that throne. And he is Lord God Almighty. Which was and is and is to come. And you all know this is talking about Jesus, right? All right, we're going to look at another scripture here so that you can have proof of this amen when you talk about jesus you're talking about the lord god almighty he which was and is and is to come the one that's coming in the clouds the coming one is god himself in flesh okay next verse we're gonna they're gonna bring that up for you so revelation 16 5 turn there if you want to or not just look up there 
And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. That's powerful, isn't it? So do you understand who he is today? There's no confusion in my mind as to who Jesus is. In the spirit, he's Lord God Almighty in the spirit. It is he which was and is and is to come. He is the eternal, everlasting, I am creator, hallelujah, God manifests in the flesh. The almighty or the all authority or all ruling or have to have all dominion, which means heaven and earth, hallelujah. Amen. Okay, I, uh, we'll go on from there. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis then, the Bible talks about Elohim. When you talk about Elohim, you talk about God himself. And they don't need to bring these scriptures up for you because I'm not going to have time to turn to all of them. But when you talk about Jesus and his name and how he's revealed to us through his name, these are just a few examples. He which was, is, and is to come. Lord God Almighty, amen. The I Am. These are just names of God that He reveals Himself to us by. The first name, when you come into the book of Genesis, you find God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The English word is God, but the Hebrew word is Elohim. When you talk about Elohim, and this is very important for me to bring this to you today, concerning the revelations of the name of God because you will not understand the book of Revelation without understanding the names of God. It won't make any sense to you because you won't understand what God is trying to show you in the book of Revelation without a revelation of His names. Okay? So Elohim is God in creation. He is God in creation. Elohim is androgynous. Elohim being androgynous means that within the name Elohim, you know, we look at the word God and we automatically come to the conclusion that God is male. Okay? But the Bible says God is a spirit. So what he does is he reveals himself to us through his name and Elohim is androgynous. Androgynous, androgynous, which means to have both sexes are both characteristics of both sexes. So God is neither male nor female in spirit. He is androgynous. He, is, he has both characteristics of male and female within him. And the name Elohim is androgynous, which means this, that he has both characteristics of male and female in himself. Now, that's very, very important. There are certain uh, of God's creation that, has, that are androgynous. The worm, for example, is androgynous. You take a worm, you drop a worm in a jar... You give it nutrition, you take care of it, and after a while, you go and look in the jar, and there's two worms, and you wonder how in the world, if you began with one, you have two now. 
because the worm is androgynous which means it has both sexes within itself so it can rep reproduce another worm for itself and so Elohim is an androgynous name having both characteristics of male and female gender in it hallelujah now why is that important because when you talk about another name of the Lord, as, as we flow through the Bible, the next name you come to will be El Shaddai. El Shaddai is not male in gender, but it is female in gender. And El Shaddai means the breasted one. Literally it means... He or, or whose breast is available to me. Her breast is available to me. And it speaks of God as in a feminine way. As God nourishing us as a mother would nourish us. He nourishes us. He takes care of us as a mother. El Shaddai means large breasted one. And those breasts are available to me. Hallelujah. Give God praise. And in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is the way that they knew God. They knew God as El Shaddai or what? God Almighty. God Almighty. El Shaddai. The breasted one. The one who provides. The one who nourishes. In the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the way he was known. They, he had not given them law. He had given them commandments. Like a mother gives her children commandments. And then daddy comes along and gives him law. Lays down the law. So El, El Shaddai is God nurturing. It's God providing for us. He's almighty God. And that's the way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the Lord for 500 years. And then you come along in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, and then God does something very unique. He changes his name. In Exodus 6, verse 2, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Say, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. I appeared to them as El Shaddai, the feminine breasted one, whose breast is available to you for provision and nourishment. But then he says, but by my name in your English translation says Jehovah, which is erroneous. That is a made up name. That's made up. It's erroneous. And the way that took place was, I'll just give you a little history, is that because the Jewish people were so afraid to mispronounce the name of God or to take the name of the Lord in vain because of the third commandment in the book of Exodus, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, they misinterpreted that. They misinterpreted that to mean to them that they were not to ever speak the name of God. Because if they did, it, it might, you know, it's the ineffable, the ineffable name, the unutterable name of God. It's called, you with me here up to this point. So they, they always, in the place of the name of God, they said Adonai, 
when I talk, now listen to me very carefully. They said Adonai, or they said Hashim, the name. Because they did not want to mispronounce it, so they called it the unutterable name of God. Yahweh, to them, was the unutterable name of God. In between the year 700 and 900, the Jewish uh, scribes called the Masorites, when they came to the names of God in the Old Testament, and specifically the name of God, Yahweh. You with me here? They did not want it to be pronounced incorrectly. So what they did was purposely. They did it on purpose. They, what they did was they took the vowel points of Adonai, the name of God Adonai, and they put those vowel points into yod heh vav -Hey, or Yahweh. And so uh, having done that now, they came up with the word Yehovah. Because they used the vowel points of Adonai into the name yod heh vav -Hey, the Yahweh name of God. And so they came up with this name, Yehovah. Uh, and so the English translators in history, when they came to that word, uh, because they didn't understand what the scribes, the Hebrew scribes were doing, they translated into English, Jehovah. It is not, it is erroneous. It's an error. It's a made-up name. You with me here? God doesn't have a name, Jehovah. He don't even have a name, Yehovah. Now, okay, having said that, hallelujah, the Bible says then, okay, up to this point, he had been known as El Shaddai, the breasted one, right? He goes on and he says this, but by the name of, by, but by my name, Yehovah, or Jehovah in the English, which should be Yahweh, or the Yot, the Hay, the Vav, and the Hay. With me here? Are you with me here? Sometimes called the Tetragrammaton. It's known as the name of God to the Jewish people. It's the high name of God to them, right? But he says, but by my name, and we'll say it this way, Yahweh. And I'm not sure that that's even the correct pronunciation. But that's commonly given. Was I not known to them? Now, what is that? why is that important? Because when you talk about Elohim, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the name is showing you that he has male and female gender in him. El Shaddai, again, is the breasted one, God nourishing. And in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they needed God to nourish them and protect them. In the days that they were in Egyptian captivity, they needed a mother to take care of them, to watch over them, to provide for them. But in Exodus chapter 6, it says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God as El Shaddai, or God Almighty. But by his name, yod heh vav -Hey, or Yahweh, he was not known to them. So in Exodus 6, this is the first time that God reveals himself to them as Yahweh. And Yahweh is in the masculine gender. So watch this. Elohim, because it has two genders within it, male and female. El Shaddai is the feminine gender. And Yahweh is the masculine gender. And when those two come together in concert, they become Elohim. 
because Elohim is male and female. You have El Shaddai and Yahweh in Elohim. So he becomes Elohim by having those two genders or two names in him cooperating in concert together to produce creation. Unless you have male and female gender, there is no creation. There is no, watch this, we know the term procreation. And so God in creation is neither, watch this, he's male and female. Let me put it this way. He's male and female. He's Elohim. He's got El Shaddai characteristics and he's got Yahweh characteristics, female and male coming together. And then he becomes Elohim as though two names work together. It's not two gods, but it's two attributes working together. And he says, let there be. Now, when you say, he which was, which is, and which is to come, you're talking about Yahweh. Give God praise. You're talking about the eternal God here. Now, Yahweh, God reveals himself to Moses for the first time as Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 3, he says, I am that I am, which means, Eye Esher Eye. Which literally can be translated, the God who has potency for the immediate future. It can also be translated, I will be what I want to be. Or to be means the living one or the eternal one, the everlasting one. The God with that beginning of days, he's infinite. So when you talk about Yahweh, you're talking about the I am that I am of the Bible. The everlasting, eternal God. The... the <laughs> The one who is the, the one who gives life, the living one. All right, you with me up to this point? So God revealed himself to Moses that way. Yahweh, Esher, Esher, Eyeh, Esher, Eyeh. Amen. I am that I am. And that Eyeh, Esher, Eyeh is, Eyeh is in the name of Yahweh. It's part of the name of Yahweh. But when you get to Exodus 3, God reveals himself as Yahweh to Israel. Why is that important? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, because up to this point, he's been nurturing them as Shaddai, the breasted one, who's made his breast available to them and nourished them. Amen? Now he shows that he's a masculine father, Yahweh, and Yahweh is in connection to his victory. See, he took care of them in Egypt, but now having brought them out of Egypt, they now need somebody to lead them that will lead them into victory. And so Yahweh, yod heh vav heh the I am, the self-existent one, the I will be what I will be. He which was and is and is to come, God. Says, now I want to give you a revelation of myself. I am also Father, not just the breasted one. I am Father who brings you victory. I am also Judge. I am also, are you with me? The lawgiver. I'm the one who brings death. I'll send my death angel through Egypt to deliver you. 
So Yahweh, when you talk about Yahweh, you're talking about God revealing himself specifically to the nation of Israel as judge, as victorious, as warring God, as law-giving God, as killer God also, God who kills. Now that's heavy stuff right there. So now he's like a father. He's strong. Amen. Now what is powerful about that is this. When you look at Adam, Adam was androgynous. When Adam was first created, he had male and female inside of him. Both of them was inside of him and God created Adam in his image. Now go to Genesis. I'm trying not to lose you here. Genesis, the Bible says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, in the image of who? God or Elohim. In the image of Elohim, he, uh, the Bible says, created he him male and female, created he them. Did you get that? He created man in his image. Then he says, um, in the image of Elohim created he him male and female, Created he them. You with me here at this point? Verse 26 though. Here's back up a little bit. It says, and God said, let us. Say us. Let us make man in our image. Who said that? God or Elohim said that. Elohim said, let us make man in our image. One is talking. God is talking. But he says concerning man, we're going to make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion over the fish of the sea and over all the fowl of the air. Over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God said let us make man in our image the one God Elohim is saying let us make man in our image and then he said so Elohim created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them what that means is this. It doesn't mean that God looked at another God up there and said, okay, uh, a second person in the Trinity, help me make man. That's not what that means. Because Elohim is the plural name of God that has both male and female characteristics in it. And so what's happening is this. El Shaddai, the breasted one, said to, oh God, said to Yahweh, the masculine side, let us make man in our image. And then it says, male and female created he 
them. So what you have then is Elohim, androgynous God, who has both male and female, come on, as far as his revealing himself to you, saying we're going to make a man and a woman together. And what you have is El Shaddai, the almighty God, the breasted one, the mother, if you will, saying to Yahweh, the father, hallelujah, characteristics of God, we're going to make man in our image. Do you get the picture? We're going to make God, man in our image. We're going to create a male and female. And then it says that God created them, them in his own image. Woo! He's an awesome God. And so when you have El Shaddai and you have Yahweh come together, then you have Elohim in creation. And just like Adam had inside of him, he had Eve inside of him. Then God took the rib. The Hebrew literally means the curvy part of Adam. He took the curvy part out of Adam and he made a woman. But the woman was inside of Adam to begin with until God took the rib or the curvy part out of him and made a woman and then he brought them back together the bible says and they became one flesh give god praise never do you see one god talking to another god what you have is an attribute a female attribute of god talking to the male attribute of god and coming together in concert creating man and woman in his image give god some praise god's an awesome god so when I say Elohim, I am talking about a God who has both natures inside of him, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Give God some praise. Whenever you have a sexual relationship with the opposite sex, you automatically become one flesh. It does not matter if she's a whore and you're not. It don't matter if you're married to her or you're not married to her. If you have a sexual relationship, you become one flesh, Corinthians says. So what happens is when this intimacy takes place, the coming together of man and woman, they become one flesh. Give God some praise. Now watch this. In the New Testament, the Bible says, Christ in you. Christ in you. Get the point. Intimacy. Christ. Get your head out of the gutter. And into this. Christ in you. Your only hope of glory. So that what God does now. He's got a bride in the earth. And I'm looking at you. And he's intimate with her. To the point that she becomes one flesh with him. She becomes bone of his bones. And flesh of his flesh. And it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. At that time. That's when you become one flesh. So do you understand this? Give God some praise. Now, some people will say, well, in, in relationship to uh, El Shaddai being known by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the breasted one, uh, that he was not known as Yahweh, the masculine lawgiver and judge, uh, until Exodus 6. According to Exodus 6, it says that. 
Well, some people will say, well, what about in Genesis 2 where it says, and the Lord God made man? What about that Lord God? The word Lord there is, is in the Hebrew Yahweh Elohim God. But Exodus 6 clearly tells us in the Bible that by that name he was not known to them. Then how is it that we find it in Genesis 2? Again, the, the Masorites who translated the Bible. Come on, are you with me? The Hebrew scribes. What they did was this. They took and placed and they were told by their authorities over them to take the name of Yahweh, the awesome name of God to them, the ineffable name of God, unpronounceable to them because they were worried about mispronouncing it. And they were told by their leadership to place that name anywhere they could in the text. It should not be in Genesis 2 because Exodus 6 says, By that name he was not known to them. He was known for 500 years as El Shaddai, the breasted one, the provider. And then after that, he was known as Yahweh. Come on, the warring God, the the covenant God, the, the God of revelation, the God who brings law, the God who brings judgment. The, listen, the God who deceives prophets. I said the God who deceives prophets. The God who sends lying spirits. You're not hearing me right now. A God of war. A God of fighting. A God of judgment. A God of law. A God of commandment. You with me? And so another, for another 500 years in the days of Moses, God was known as Yahweh the lawgiver. But as you go through the scripture, you come across another name. Eloah. And Eloah, we got A-H at the end, which lets us know that it's, what do you say if you say Miha? What if you say Miho? Miha, Miho. Okay, Miha is what? What are you saying, Spanish-speaking people? Miha, Miha, daughter, Miho, son. A-H changes the gender. So you've got a name for God. It's Eloah. Eloah, say Eloah. It is fender, uh, uh, feminine in its gender. Eloah. And that is this. It is Messiah in the Old Testament. It is Christ in the New Testament. Eloah is feminine in the, New Te in the Old Testament. It speaks of the anointing. It speaks of the Spirit of God. Give God some praise. In the New Testament, it is Christ, but it's not feminine in the New Testament. The Holy Ghost is in the masculine. Now, when you talk about the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God, it is neutral. Come on. Neutral in the New Testament. But it is always accompanied with a masculine article. Like the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. The is masculine. Holy Spirit is neutral. Neither male nor female. But because it's got the masculine article with it, it always it comes to you in the New Testament as masculine. The Holy Ghost, the anointing is masculine in the New Testament. Give God praise. In the New Testament, your soul is called suke. And suke is in the feminine. But the Spirit of God that's in you in the New Testament is the, come on with me, it's the revelation of God of Eloah. But Eloah is feminine in the Old Testament. 
and it's masculine in the New Testament. When I got the Holy Ghost, I got the masculine Holy Ghost on the inside of me. It's new. Come on, you don't hear what I'm saying. It's neutral in the spirit, but because he connects it with a masculine article, then that means he wants you to understand the emphasis now is on a masculine spirit. In the Old Testament, it was Eloah, feminine, Christ, uh, Mashiach, Messiah, the anointed one. You with me here up this point? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was quieter. And it was, in a sense, retiring. But when you come into the New Testament days, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, it, it, he puts that masculine article with it. So you know now in New Testament days, he's a God of force and a God of power. When he comes, he comes in power and he comes in force. So Eloah in the cloud speaks to you of the Holy Ghost or the spirit of the living God. Give God some praise. Now... When you look in the book of Genesis chapter 14, you will come across a name of God that predated all other names. It predated all other names. It predated all ages. Both ages in the past and ages to come. It predates time. And that name was El Elyon, which means the Most High God possessor of heaven and earth as Elohim come on El Shaddai and Yahweh in concert presents you Elohim in creation and Elohim created the heavens and the earth but as Elion he's the possessor of heavens and the earth Genesis 14 tells you that are you with me here and we know the story because Abraham comes across a man by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness. He is called the priest of the most high God. El Elyon, most high God. Are you with me right now? The Bible says about Melchizedek, he says he was without beginning of days, without mother or father. Come on. In the New Testament, the Bible says that the priesthood of Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. Now, under Yahweh, Yahweh established the Aaronic priesthood. Come on. In the tabernacle of Moses. But the Bible said when Jesus comes, he would be after the order of Melchizedek, which is in association to the Most High God. When you talk about the Most High God, you're talking about the finished work of the cross. Because when Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, king of righteousness comes forth, Hebrews says he's also king of Salem, which means king of peace. When he comes forth, he has bread and wine in his hands. And those are the symbols or the emblems of the work of the cross. The work is finished. Here's the proof that the work has been finished. Here's the bread and the wine for man. So it, it's speaking of, what does it speak of? It speaks of love and mercy and grace and peace. It speaks of the finished work of the cross. He's the most high God. So he's not just Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of law and the God of judgment, the God of victory. But he's El Elyon. He's the God of peace and the God of love and the God of life. 
Do you understand? He is the most high God. And Melchizedek is his priest. And Jesus, uh, of course, Melchizedek is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way he got his priesthood was uh, after the power of an endless life. And when you talk about Melchizedek, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. The word of forever is linked to that priesthood. Say forever. It means, hallelujah, infinite. It goes beyond time. It goes back. So what I'm trying to show you is God has always been Elyon. God has always been the most high God. He was Elyon before he was Elohim creator. Before he, come on, before he was the androgynous Elohim, he was Elyon. Before he was El Shaddai, he was Elyon, Most High God. Before he was Yahweh, he was Elyon, the Most High God. Before he was Eloah, Christ in manifestation, the anointing, he was Elyon, the Most High God. Be, come on, are you with me right now? He predates time and he goes beyond time. Give God some praise. And he brings in love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and light. And he brings in a finished work. He's the most high God. And so that when Jesus Christ was born of a woman, the Bible tells me that, uh, that he is the son of the most high God. He is son of Elyon. Give God some praise. It doesn't say he's the son of Yahweh. It doesn't say he's the son of Elohim. It doesn't say he's the son of El Shaddai. It doesn't say he's the son of Eloah. Come on. He's the son of the most high God. And so when you study the Bible, you will see that Israel... All the way back to the time when, are you with me right now? When Abraham met uh, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, you will see from that time that God revealed himself to man in these five primary names. But all of them are located in the Most High God. Every one of them is located in the Most High God. Are you getting the point? Give God some praise then. And as you study the Bible, God begins to reveal himself to us so we'll understand his great purpose and call. Now, are you with me now? In the Bible, then you will see the nation of Israel going from time to time. They'll go from a Yahweh concept of God, the lawgiver, the judge, the victorious, the warring God. Come on, somebody. They, they, they see God that way at times. But then they'll flow into, for example, in the days of David, 500 years after Moses. 500 years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, El Shaddai. 500 years, then he comes along as the father bringing laws. And then we come to about 1000 B.C., Abraham's 2000 B.C. 500 years, we've got Moses. Then 500 years later, we've got David. Around 1000 B.C., what does he do? He sets up a tabernacle. And he puts the ark of God, the throne of God, the most high God, in a tabernacle. 
and they worship the Most High God in spirit and in truth. Are you with me up to this point? In the tabernacle of Yahweh, of the Old Testament law God, we have blood sacrifices that are being offered there. But when we go into the tabernacle of David, and because David understood now the Eliyon understanding of God, that he's the most high God, he understood the finished work of the cross. The blood's already been shed, so I'm going to put this ark in this little rectangular tent with an open side, and everybody can worship him, and everybody can look upon the ark. In the Yahweh covenant God of law, you could not look on that ark and live. Only the high priest could look on that ark and live. And the high priest once a year went in before the ark. Only once a year and he's the only one that ever saw the ark. But in David's day, he got a revelation of Elion, the Most High God. He got a revelation of a Melchizedek priesthood where the work is already done. He got a revelation of that, and he left it open, left the tent open, and he put the ark there, and he said, come on, everybody. You can look at the ark yourself, and you can worship and praise the Lord God in spirit and in truth. No longer just the high priest, but men can come. And women can come. I said, and women can come and worship him. And not just the Jews, as in the law, Yahweh understanding of God, the God of law, but Gentiles were commanded by David to worship him. And children could come and worship him. So David had an understanding of the Most High God. But... After the days of David, they took the ark and they brought it into the temple. And Solomon took them back into the days of Yahweh concepts. Yahweh covenant understanding. Are you with me right now? Give God some praise. Then the Bible tells us in history that the, the nations of the world came. Assyria came and took captive the ten tribes of Israel into their land in about 722 B.C., according to modern chronology. And then around uh, 606 B.C., the first captivity of the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they were taken into Babylon. Now watch this. Up to that point, they had been in a Yahweh type of worship, a Yahweh understanding of God, a God of law, a God of covenant, a God of commandment, a God of war. Come on, somebody. But when they get into Babylon, listen to me. You will see the prophet Daniel and his friends focus on God, not as Yahweh. Yahweh is listed one time in the book of Daniel. But throughout the book of Daniel, even Nebuchadnezzar, a, a pagan king, understood that God was the most high God. Because when you say God is the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, he's not just the God of Israel, he's the God of all nations. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, children can come and worship him this way based on the finished work. And so this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, understood that God was the most high God. And I got news for you. Daniel also understood that God was the most high God. Watch this. His focus and the other Hebrew men's focus is not Yahweh, law God. Because, friend, they couldn't even keep the law in a foreign land. So they had to have a revelation of the Most High God. Because in the 
captivity. They couldn't bring sacrifice and obey the law of the Old Testament. In those days, not only did they not bring sacrifice, which broke the law of Yahweh, they also could not keep the feast of the Lord, which broke the law of Yahweh. But what happened was they got a revelation of the Most High God. That He's not just a God of law and commandments, but He's a God of all nations. And it doesn't matter. He and they understood the circumstances that are out of my control. I can still worship and pray to him as El Elyon, the most high God. Give God some praise. Even though I'm not offering blood sacrifice here, even though I'm not able to keep the feast, he's El Elyon, he's the most high God, the God who has already done the work. Give God some praise. And so when you get to Daniel, I'm going to turn there real quickly. You need to understand all of this as we flow into the book of Revelation. In Daniel chapter 7, this is a good example of Elion. Hallelujah. It shows you a day when people are not going to bring blood sacrifices. It shows you a day when people are not going to keep the ceremonial law. It shows you a day, friend, come on somebody, when you're not going to be keeping the natural feast. It shows you a day when you're in an alien type of understanding of God where your sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise based on the finished work of the cross. Even the prophet understood that. Daniel understood that. And even David understood that. It was a Melchizedek priesthood. You got it? Give God some praise in this house. I feel the spirit of the Lord in this house right now. Watch what Daniel does. And remember, when we're looking at the book of Revelation, we're looking at Daniel chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 24. The structure is what? A general overview of prophecy. Then the persecution of the saints followed by the destruction of the beast followed by the setting up of God's kingdom it's the same way in Matthew 24 general overview of prophecy persecution of the saints then the destruction of the beast and then the setting up of the kingdom revelation structure the same way it is what general prophecy then the persecution of the saints or the church then after that come on are you with me right now the destruction of the beast in his kingdom and then the setting up of God's kingdom the structures laid out in Daniel 7 it's laid out in Matthew 24 and it's laid out in of Revelation. So when I go to Daniel 7, I look at the Most High God. Watch this. Daniel 7, we're going to start with verse 17. I've got to hurry. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. <laughs> Give God some praise. I hope you understand what I'm trying to tell you today. See, you've got to have a revelation of the name of God or you won't even know what he wants from you today. You'll think he wants you to build him a literal temple. You'll think he wants the, that he wants you to offer literal sacrifices and keep literal feasts. But if you have an understanding that the work is already done, that all you got to do now is worship him in spirit and in truth. He's the God of nations. Most high God, the God upon the throne. Where men and women are equal. And everybody can see his glory. And everybody can manifest that glory. You got it? His names are in the cloud of his people and his presence. Now watch Daniel 7. Watch this. Praise the Lord. 
Are y'all getting this? This is very important for you to understand. Because, and why is that? It's because people who have a revelation of the Most High God are people who will overcome death. Because Melchizedek was a priest uh, uh, for, Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it was after the power of it in his life, not, a, not based on a Yahweh covenant, which was genealogy, Levites. It was after the power of endless life. And so people who understand this are people who are going to overcome death. It's vitally important that you understand that. Because if you have a Yahweh concept of God only, that he's a God of judge and a God of law, a God who kills and God who makes alive. Come on, are you with me right now? Then you will die trying to serve him that way. Because the law kills you. But the spirit maketh alive. You'll overcome death. You don't believe me, do you? Let me give you some examples. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a concept and an understanding of the truth of El Elyon, the Most High God. And they overcame the fiery furnace. Daniel overcame death in the den of lions. Melchizedek. It type overcame death. Jesus, who's a priest of the field of Melchizedek, overcame death. How? Because he's understanding. I'm the son of the most high God. You got to have that concept and understanding, especially in this hour. Because we're moving in kingdom top days now. Are you with me here? Okay, Daniel 7. Very quickly, watch this. 717. Praise the Lord, somebody. 717. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. The saints of who? Not God in his revelation as Elohim creator. Not God in his revelation of El Shaddai, the feminine one who makes his breast available to us for nourishment. Not Yahweh, the law-giving covenant God of judgment. But here the Bible says it's not even Eloah. It's not even anointing. Here it says the most high God, the saints of the most high God are going to what? Take the kingdom and possess that kingdom forever. Even forever and ever. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's infinite. That's the priesthood of Melchizedek. And the priesthood of Melchizedek is a fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. That's where we are today. Are you with me here? So as it says the most high God, the Bible says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and of his nails of brass, and devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped in residue of his feet. What God's going to show you, it's not going to take place without a fight. The Antichrist is going to rise up to, to, uh, to withstand the saints, uh, to try to overcome the saints, to try to wear out the saints. So it's not going to be without a fight, my friend. Even though you've got a revelation of the Most High God and what He's doing in this hour, you're still going to have to understand that you're going to face Antichrist. You're going to face beast systems. Uh, they're going to try to conquer you and overcome you. But the Bible says, if you overcome, he that overcometh to the seven churches, he that overcometh, there's going to be a fight that takes place. Now, sometime read Psalm 107, I believe it is. Read about it. It talks about those who reject the counsel of most, the Most High God 
will experience death. So if you, lose, if you don't receive the counsel that I'm giving you today and understand this message. See, you can't just let this go in one ear out the other. You've got to receive the counsel of the Most High God. Because if you don't, then you will experience death and not life. That's how important it is. So that if this church goes through the tribulation period, you'll begin to understand the persecution of the saints. And then after that, the destruction of the beast's kingdom, followed by the setting up of God's kingdom. And it is the saints of God who will possess that kingdom of who? El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And his primary focus is El Elyon, the most high God, is the earth realm. Setting up his kingdom in the earth realm. Now watch. Give God some praise in this house. I better go on down then. Verse 22, until the ancient of days. Well, verse 21, I behold the same horn made war with the saints. It's not going to be without a battle. And prevailed against them. It says it prevailed against them. Until when? The ancient of days came. Until the ancient of days came watch and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom look at the structure thus he said the fourth beast be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which should be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hands until a time, times, and dividing the time are three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit. And they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. This message is a threat to world governments. This message is a threat to religious systems. This message is a, is a threat to all societies. This message says that it's all going to bow down to him someday. And that the saints of the Most High God are going to possess the kingdom. But it's not going to be without a fight. That's why you've got to receive the counsel of the Most High God because you'll never make it in this day. You'll get so deceived and so deluded and so messed up in your thinking, you'll backslid in a moment because you're so messed up because you don't understand what God is doing. So we need to get a revelation of this. Amen? Now watch. After Daniel and them go back to the land of Israel after captivity, then they get so back up in a Yahweh law type system. Ezra reads the law book in the Old Testament. Now, let me flow on into this. Into the days of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's the son of the most high God. They didn't understand Jesus because he didn't come as the son of Yahweh. 
You're not hearing me. He is the son of Yahweh, but he didn't come that way. He came as the son of Eliyahu, the most high God. He came with mercy and love and peace. That's why he can forgive a sinner. That's why he can, they can bring by law, bring by law a woman caught in adultery in the very act. And he says, go and sin no more. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Because he's coming as what? The son of the most high God, Eliyahu. The one who's going to bring the bread and the wine. And based on his work at the cross, he can forgive her and said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. So he comes offering love and light and forgiveness. One time in the New Testament, he comes as Yahweh though. He drives out the money changers out of the temple. But his primary focus is the son of Eliyon, the God of peace and love and light and salvation and forgiveness and freedom. That's why they didn't understand him. He was a threat to their system. You go through there. He's the son of the most high God. Well, then he's got some sons that are born in the kingdom. In the day of Pentecost. And they're born by the spirit. Now they get Eloah. The, the anointing. They've got the Holy Ghost in them. Praise the Lord. And it's by regeneration. They now become the sons of God. The sons of the most high God in fact. And if you look through the book of Acts. The, the apostles talk about the, the most high God. They serve the most high God. Give God praise. But you'll see the struggle even in the early church. People of Israel come into the church on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles come into the church. And the Jews are struggling with that. The Gentiles coming in the church. And James says, well, let me explain it to you. Go back to the tabernacle of David. Go back to the understanding of the Most High God. And that's in Acts 15. But then in Galatians, we see Peter struggling with that. It's too hot for him. He can't handle this most high God revelation. It's too hot for him. So what he does is he separates himself from eating with the Gentiles. And so Paul has to confront him. And so then Peter becomes the, the uh, apostle to the circumcision in Israel. And Paul becomes the apostle to the uncircumcised in most high God revelation to the Gentile church. But even Paul in the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, struggles back and he starts flowing back into Yahweh type movement because, you know what, God warned him, said don't go to Jerusalem, but he still goes to Jerusalem. The church warned him, said don't go to Jerusalem, but Paul still goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he gets bound. And the apostles said, well, go ahead and just do what they tell you to do. Just go ahead and keep the law. Go back into the Yahweh mode because, come on. You're, you're in that situation right now. Don't rock the boat, Paul. And so he ends up getting bound over it. See, so throughout history, I've gone through history with you. There has been a struggle with understanding the Yahweh God and the Most High God. And back and forth. Is he a God of law, a God of judgment? Yes, he is. But he's a God of love, mercy, and grace, and forgiveness too. He's a God of the finished work. Okay, let's go to the book of Revelation then. <clears throat> That's just a brief overview of his names. And those names are found in him. It's found in the name of Jesus. And all Colossians 2 says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. In the name of Jesus is found Elohim, male and female, creator of heaven and earth. In him is found El Shaddai, the nourisher and the provider. In him is also found the law, the Yahweh God. He is Yahweh. He's the God of commandment. And in him is found Eloah, the spirit. Amen. The anointing. And in that name also is found the most high God, El Elyon. Come on, are you with me right now? 
after the power of an endless life. Resurrection ground is where we are here. Okay. Now, having said that, let's go to Revelation and I close. How are we doing? How are we doing, brother? I'm talking about time-wise. Okay, I'm, I've got to close. I'm right on time. Lord, hallelujah. I'm right on time. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place of the Most High God is the uh, reproductive organs. And Elyon, by the way, is androgynous. Neither male nor female. The secret place of the Most High God is the reproductive organs shall abide in the shadow of El Shaddai, the Almighty. And so where is the shadow of the Almighty? It's the womb of the Almighty. Who God. It's the God of intimacy we're talking about here. Give God some praise. When you talk about your secret parts, you're talking about your reproductive organs. God made your body. Everything in your body's preaching Jesus. Even when you breathe, you go, wait, 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 y'all, wait, 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 wait. Every time you breathe, you're saying, He's the one who gives breath, He's the one who gives life. Y'all, wait, 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 wait. I'm praising Him right now. Every time I breathe, I'm praising Him. As a, as a life giver. Give God praise. I said give him praise today. Five names in the cloud. Five names in the church. Five names in Jesus. Now, there's other names of God. Are you with me? Other names of God. One is Zabiot, which means Sabiot, which means Lord of hosts. But that's connected to Yahweh. Are you with me here? Now, I've got to tell you that for a reason. Because in Revelation in closing, i got about 12 minutes. Let's get back to Revelation. I'm going to close. Revelation 1. The Bible says grace and peace from him. Grace and peace is found in the finished work. It's found in Eliashan, the God of salvation. From him which is, which was, which is to come. It's from who? The eternal, everlasting God. It's Yahweh, but, see, in Eliashan is all those names. He's still the eternal God who produced it. He brought the finished work of the body and blood and the bread and the wine. You got it? And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Say seven spirits for those. Some people say that's angels. Some people believe that be angels. And it could be that that's the church. Amen. I'm not going to get into that right now. All right. But I'll just say this right here. That you are the anointed body of Christ. And who the trees in Zechariah. One tree on either side. Poured its golden oil into the golden candlestick. You are the anointed body of Christ. Redeemed by his blood. It's before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. Who is are literally even from Jesus Christ. Who is the faithful witness. Say the faithful witness. That uh, exposes the lie of the false prophet. He's the faithful witness. 
and the first begotten of the dead that exposes the lie of the beast. The Bible said whose deadly wound was healed. No, 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 no. Jesus, the Bible says, is the first begotten from the dead, exposing the lie of the beast. And then he goes on and says this. And the ruler or the prince of the kings of the earth, the ruler of the kings of the earth, that exposes the lie of Babylon, who says that she rules over the kingdoms of the earth. No, Jesus rules over the kingdoms of men. Unto him that loved us, he keeps on loving us. That's that, come on, that's that Melchizedek. That's that most high God relationship. He just keeps on loving us. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of relationship. He didn't just love me in the past. He still loves me today. He's the lover of my soul. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Finished work of bread and wine. Melchizedek priesthood. Most high God priest. When did my sins get washed away? When I was water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus was applied to my life. Washing my sins away. In his own what? Blood. Say blood. Bread and wine. And hath made us. Or hath, or, and made us kings. It doesn't say he will make us kings. He says and made us kings. We're already a kingdom my friend. We already constitute a kingdom. Yes the kingdom in its ultimate sense is still out there. In its ultimate sense in the glorious kingdom. But we are already in the kingdom of God. We already constitute a kingdom and made us to be kings and priests unto our God. We are kings and priests. We're a Melchizedek priesthood, a king priest, king of righteousness, king of peace. Give God some praise. I'm already, the, I'm looking at the kingdom of God right here. The kingdom of God is sitting in front of me right now. It's kingdom. When he comes the second time, literally. And the Bible says this. Unto God and his father. Say father. Say father. He's the son of the most high God. When you said son of father, he's the son of the most high God. Give God praise. In his flesh, in his humanity, he's a son. In his spirit, he's deity, God. He's God come in the flesh. He is the most high God. Jesus is the most high God. He's Elohim. He, he's El Shaddai. He's Yahweh. He's Eloah. He's Elion. He's all of that. He's the almighty God, El Shaddai. He's the almighty God in the book of Revelation. Watch. To him, glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh. Orkomai. He's coming from one place to another. And I'll talk about Orkomai so you'll understand the difference. Behold, he cometh. Behold, he Orkomai's with clouds. Hello, clouds. And next week, if the Lord will, I'm going to preach on the clouds of heaven. Not just talking about the little atmospheric cloud. He's talking about his people. His names are in the clouds. And lightning brings interaction between the names. And sometimes it hits the earth. He only comes with clouds. Every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I am out. So again, we're dealing with the finished work here. I am Alpha 
and omega. I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord. And literally, it can be Lord God. Revelation 22 talks about Lord God. He's the one that restores paradise back to man. Lord God. All right? You with me here? Which is and which was and which is to come. You got to look back. You got to say which was, which is Jesus, which is to come. You got to go all the way back to the Old Testament and bring it to the New Testament to understand who we're talking about here. Give God some praise. Which was the Almighty the Almighty. But really, come on. El Shaddai in the Old Testament was God Almighty. The Lord Almighty. But in the New Testament, it can't be that. It can't be that. Because El Shaddai was not the God of war and the God of law and the God of judgment and the God of victory. El Shaddai in the Old Testament, Almighty God or Lord Almighty was the preston one, the provider. Here we see him as king. We see him as judge. We see him as warrior. It, this almighty is more along the lines of Yahweh type understanding of God. But E.W. Bollinger says this about almighty. He said that it's related to not El Shaddai. He said it's related to the name of God called the Lord of hosts. And the first time you hear the name Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, Sabaoth is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. When the priesthood is corrupt, when the judges have failed, when the sanctuary is defiled, but he's the Lord of hosts. In Revelation we see him now coming back as the Almighty, the Lord of hosts is his name. He's coming back as the true priest. He's coming back as the true king. King. He's going to cleanse the sanctuary. Almighty here should be better translated. It's the Greek word pankator, uh, which should be translated not uh, El Shaddai, but Lord of hosts. Or having dominion over all. Ruling over all. Dominion over all. That's not, that's not the breasted El Shaddai. That's the judge and warring God. Lord of hosts. And I'm looking at the hosts of God. Both heavenly and heavenly hosts of angels. Earthly hosts of God. He's Lord of Sabaoth. He's coming back as a true king. As a true priest. Where it failed, he won't. He won't. And I'm excited today to tell you that I've got a revelation of the Most High God. And because as Elion, he predates all of it before the ages and after the ages, in Elion, you find all the other ones in the name. But guess what his name is today? 